working. Let's have Okay, so um, we're starting a new series on Hebrews. Uh, we had a, a dip into the Old Testament, and now we're going to the New Testament. Um, uh, I wonder when I say the word drifting, what images it conjures up. You see, the word drifting could conjure up uh, both pleasant images and sometimes uncomfortable images as well. A few years before I came to Malaysia, I hired a canal, uh, canal boat with some friends and uh, we spent a couple of weeks uh, going up the canals, up the rivers uh, near Reading and um, just was one of the most pleasant uh, relaxing summer holidays I've ever been on. And, and these were guys, uh, people from London who are, live frenetic lives. And again, they agreed that this was uh, almost difficult for them to, to just relax and have this uh, peaceful, uh, peaceful uh, couple of weeks and just enjoy uh, this uh, almost idyllic lifestyle. We would uh, more by the side of the river and uh, find a, a place to have dinner. Uh, we'd uh, cook ourselves or make ourselves a lunch and, um, and just enjoy the riverside. And we'd just drift along. And that's what comes to my mind first when I hear the word drifting. The other, the other uh, word, yeah, images that come to mind is um, the same carefreeness, but almost carelessness. When we, I mean, I wonder whether you've heard the term adulting. Often it's somebody saying I'm adulting and they're proud of themselves for something they've done or feeling that they can't quite cope uh, with the responsibilities that they have. Do you ever feel like uh, why, why did they let me become an adult? How am I an adult? I don't know whether you feel that. I, I feel that regularly. The responsibilities I have. Why am I an adult? Why are they letting me, even worse, why are they letting me look after children? No, no, don't worry about that. Hopefully you can trust me with your children. But you see, as we grow up, we trust our parents. We, we think that they know exactly what they're doing and they're in control of everything. But then we grow up and we're so eager to grow up and we're eager to take control for ourselves. And then we realize we're not quite in control of everything. We don't know where we're going exactly. We have to figure things out and we don't know everything. But thankfully, things generally work. We get very good at pretending we know how to be adults and in control of everything. But there's still, in truth, we are, we're drifting along. Part of us 
uh, is, is just going along with the flow, blindly finding our way through life. And as we grow and mature, we do realize that actually most people are in the same boat. It's what makes people envious and drawn to those people who have a strong purpose in life. Because that's something that we want. That's something, maybe they know something that we don't. Some kind of anchor, some kind of surety. And obviously drifting through life is a bad thing. Now today's passage, chapter one, uh, and eventually in and chapter two, start of chapter two, gives us dire warnings, not about drifting through life, because as Christians, we really should have surety in life. And at the start of chapter one gives us that surety, that certainty. But the danger is that we can drift from that. We can just continue to bumble along life as it is and drift from the truth. And at the start of chapter two, it's, we hear these words, pay ten, close attention lest we drift away from it. Now, that sounds very much like something I would say to my students. Pay attention. And like my classroom, the Bible uses these words sparingly. Because if, if we use those words a lot, if it used those words a lot, if I said every other, you know, every other minute, pay attention, pay close, special attention, then pretty soon that they would stop paying attention, wouldn't they? So it needs to be something special where the Bible is saying, pay special attention. And not only is it important, it has consequences. And we'll read about those in a minute. So let's, uh, you can either turn to Hebrews uh, chapter one, um, or you can listen along, you can look at the screen, it's on the screen. If you can read that small writing, I'm sorry, sorry it's quite a uh, long passage, but it's also got um, a fair bit of poetic language in that, which is references to the Old Testament. So Hebrews chapter one, starting at verse one, going all the way through to Hebrews chapter two, verse four. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. 
And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he will make, angel, his, he will make his angels winds and his ministers a, fire, a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the earth, heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, you, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are in, uh, to inherit salvation? Therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. But since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While, uh, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Sorry about the uh, change over there. Let me pray as we, before we go on. Father, you have given us your word and preserved it for us so that we can know you. We can know your saviour. We can know your son. We can know your character. We can know your salvation. Lord, help us to humble ourselves, clear our minds and focus on you. Pay attention so that we do not lose out on this great salvation that you have given us, these promises that you have given us. Lord, teach us today so that we can be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, the book of Hebrews was written... Um, well, we don't know who it's written by. Some think it's Paul. Others think it's Barnabas or Apollos. Um, certainly, after studying it a few times, I, I, be, I don't believe it is Paul. It's, you know, although a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the teachings are very similar to Paul's, it just has a different tone to the rest of his letters, in, in my opinion. Um, but it is clear that, uh, that the author knows the apostles, uh, and has spoken to the apostles, and who he is addressing here, we don't know either. But it is clear that his audience, uh, he, he knows that the, his audience uh, has a good understanding of 
the Old Testament, a very good understanding because the continual references uh, reference something larger. Uh, these are continual references all the way through Hebrews to, uh, to the Old Testament. Now, we start the book of Hebrews, the author starts the book of Hebrews saying that God has spoken to the Jewish forefathers many times and in many ways. And you will hear many people say, and even Christians saying, I wish that God would speak to me. And again, it's, it's that feeling of being lost and needing direction. I wonder whether you've thought to yourself, how great would it be if God were to appear in a burning bush before me and tell me exactly what I should do? But look at the passage and let's see what it says next. But in these last days, he had spoken by his son, who was appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And it goes on and on about how wonderful Jesus is. What's the point being made here? Imagine meeting Moses and saying, oh, wow, that was so cool that you got to meet God and hear God through a burning bush. Now, Moses, who has seen everything that's happened and now sees uh, that Jesus has come. How's he going to answer? He's going to say, what on earth are you talking about? We heard God. I heard God, but I didn't know the fullness of God's plan. God spoke to me in a burning bush. God spoke to me on Mount Sinai, but we didn't know where this was heading. You have Jesus, who is literally God. You know God. You have the words of God. You have the completion of everything that I was working towards. The whole of nature comes about because of him. It's created through him and he holds everything together. You get to know Jesus in a way that I never did. Not only is he the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament, he brings salvation and a forgiveness of sins that my work in Egypt just points to. And not only that, he invites you to be in a relationship with him, for God to be your father, and to know Jesus in an intimate way, and to have that relationship with God and Jesus in a way that I never did. Do you see what the problem is when we say, I wish we were back in Old Testament times. It kind of reminds me of people who, who love the idea of period dramas. Yes, they're beautiful. And yes, the language is flowery. But just imagine wearing those dresses or those, uh, those clothes 
without any softener in your in your fabric or just to make sure that well you well incredibly uncomfortable no hospitals that we have now no air conditioning people who long to go back to those days have a rose tint look at it through rose tinted specs the same as those people who long to have god speaking to them directly now god already speaks to you directly now through his word and what's more is that we have his final word we we don't need anything more we have his full plan revealed we have something so much greater than moses abraham and all that the prophets had we have the opportunity to know jesus do note that the author is in absolute no absolute no doubt that jesus is god for those who question about the bible uh, not saying that jesus is god it's ridiculous it, I, and i mentioned this before it's ridiculous elsewhere but it's even more ridiculous when you look at the book of hebrews look at the number of times he repeats it jesus it is jesus that is the heir of all things it is through jesus that everything is made so he was there in the beginning jesus is the radiance of the glory of god the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So if Jesus were to wink out of existence, well, the whole of the universe would also wink out of existence as well. And again, through all of these references, you see, and if you have time, do go and look them up because they expound so much more about God's nature. There is no doubt here what is going on, who the Old Testament is pointing to. Firstly, it is showing us this son who is also God. In verse 8, it says, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Who else but God is he talking about if he's talking about the son? And in verse 9, of the son, he says, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth. So it's unsurprising that there's this rhetorical question. It's just there to hammer home this point. As if some people had asked if Jesus is just another angel. And you might hear that occasionally. If you hear those on the fringes uh, of Christian theology, Jesus is just another angel. He's a higher being. He is not God. Verse 5 says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? The answer is obviously none. To compare an angel to Jesus is like comparing a servant to a king. In fact, the distance is even wider. There is no comparison. They are not just you know, human beings, a servant to a king. They are different beings. An angel to God himself. You see, the author's first point is so clearly this jesus is first overall 
No one and nothing compares to him. He is God. Through him, we were created, held together, and then saved. The problem is we're so used to hearing that that it loses its meaning sometimes. We're so used to hearing that Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the person that holds everything together that we lose that meaning. When instead it should drive us to our knees in humility. I don't know whether you remember the first time that you realized that Jesus had died for you. Or that Jesus was God. I honestly don't think I do. I just kind of grew up with it. And so it was always there. But its magnitude has struck me time and time again. And I realize this amazing fact and it it becomes a deep becomes uh, having a deeper meaning for me that God so far above us cared enough to send Jesus to save us think it's not just that God sent Jesus to save us this is the God who created us he knows you and he cares about you not only did he create us, he gave us all good things. He provided for us. He provided food and comfort and shelter and air conditioning and fabric softening and comfortable clothes. Every time you marvel at something, you are marveling at God's creation and what he has provided for you. So not only did he create us, he provided for us and he saved us. He's responsible for holding everything to, together every moment of every day. In the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there I, I recall there is a machine that um, allows you to look into it and perceive everything, everything in the universe. The problem is... If we look into it, the magnitude uh, is so mind-blowing that you immediately can't cope. You, you die. Your brain just cannot cope with the magnitude of the universe. And I feel that that is, that is God's magnitude. is something like that. In fact, that is... God's magnitude, but greater than that, because he is more than his creation. And because we can't cope with the magnitude of God, he just allows us to see and understand just a trickle of, his, uh, of this magnitude, one small piece at a time, because otherwise we couldn't cope. We're told in the Old Testament that if we were to see God, we would die immediately come into his presence we would die because of his glorious nature so we need to recognize god's glory that is his first point his second point here i've got only two points today and this is what i said at the beginning therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it 
right there at the start of chapter two. What, what, is, it, uh, what is this it that he's talking about? Well, if you look just back to chapter 1, verse 14, the last thing it mentions in chapter, uh, chapter 1, it's there, isn't it? It's the salvation. Lest we drift away from the salvation. Now, when I was a boy, I, unsurprisingly, I read lots of books about fantastical things, fantastical battles. You know, that's, that's some of the excitement about fantasy. It's the fantastical battles that happen. Now, not only were the tales about mighty warriors, but there were also uh, the battle of minds and wills. The, battles of, uh, the battle of wills, I imagined, is something like you see in Hollywood films. You see, you have a, a kind of contest of mind against mind, and you can see them closing their eyes and gritting their teeth. And, so, you know, you can see the battle, they're, they're starting to lose, and then they, someone says, come on, and they, they get there a little bit, you know, they grit their teeth even more, and they, they, they win. Well, that's not how a battle of wills happens in real life, is it? much much harder than that in reality a battle of wills is whether we can stay faithful whether we can stay true to something over a longer period of time maybe it's days or weeks more often it's months or years it could be our friendships it could be our relationships. A love of friends, families, and even partners. Seemingly so strong and true once fades and gently drifts away. See, that is what is being warned about here. That drifting away. You see, this is not Hollywood where this amazing romance comes through fire and danger and then the couple go off into the distance into the sunset and live happily ever after it's so often talked about cynically the happily ever after well that's not as easy as it sounds that's the hard part in reality relationships to stay close require work and attention and so too our love of jesus pay attention lest it drift away from us and what's at stake no less than our eternal salvation and there are consequences listed here as well without jesus being our savior we are due the retribution of every transgression or disobedience. And how often we fall and how often we fail and how often we are being selfish or we lose our temper or 
we just feel like being mean or callous or crude or rude not ju just not caring not the witnesses to the loving god that we should be and i've seen it happen so often and often it's when there is a big life change when someone goes off to university and they're no longer going to church with their parents they might start going to a church when they move to a different place but after a couple of weeks a couple of months maybe they've moved to a new country or started a new job many of us know that you go along to a new church it's exciting to begin with but then it gets boring it could be when the busyness of work starts to get on top of you or me or when lockdown happens and you have to go online stop going to church think i'll watch the youtube video i won't get up on time on sunday but i'll watch i promise to watch the youtube video and then it becomes rarer and rarer they're all there i know where they are i still want to go and watch them but i got so busy it could be that the people in your new church are just they're boring or they're weird christians can be so weird can't they they seem to attract the crazies or unfriendly and i apologize because i know that i'm not the friendliest person at times or they're just so busy with family or work and i never get to see them so why should i go to church when work is so busy and i i need to do some work on sunday i'll start going to church again when it's less busy or work is so busy and i'm just so tired on sunday i need my lie-in but my new church doesn't do an evening service i need the rest when i'm less tired i'll start going when lockdown finishes it'll be in a month or two maybe and i'll start going to church again when church reopens you see drifting starts with the simplest excuses that we make to ourselves but this passage says pay attention or else Now, I'm not saying that if you're exhausted that you should kill yourself by dragging yourself to church. I'm not saying that if you miss a single meeting that you're going to lose your salvation. But be careful because drifting starts with these small steps. And what's at stake? It's our salvation, our relationship with Jesus who created us sustains us and gave us all good things this amazing gift that we have been given and the promise of heaven
Let me pray. Father, we pray that you keep us close to you. We are so weak and so prone to drifting, prone to wonder, prone to leaving the things that we love. Lord, forgive us. And we pray that you help us. Lord, help us even if it's painful. We may, uh, we may be annoyed at the, the alarm that wakes us up or whatever ca other cattle prod you use us, but please use a cattle prod to put, bring us back in line. We are sheep who are so prone to wonder, Lord. Keep us true to you. Give us reminders. Because you are so great. You are the creator who gave us all things. Everything of joy in this life, we should be giving thanks and praise to you. Sometimes we don't do that, Lord. Help us when we give praise and thanks and take joy in anything to look to you and realize that it's you who's given us that. And also look to heaven and know that, that these things will be even greater then. That you have promised us a certain place in heaven if we trust in you. Lord, we pray that we can continue to witness for you this great love that you've given us, these great promises that you've given us, and this relationship that we have with you. Let us not take it for granted, but let us shine for you and work towards giving more to you. In Jesus' name, amen.